We'll be returning to the book of Acts this morning. Be in Acts chapter 1. Refresh your memories as to what we're doing. We're studying themes in the book of Acts, submitting ourselves to God to be shaped by what we see here in the history of how the church began. We want to be shaped as individual Christians and thus as a collective, as a church. And that's a supernatural thing that we're asking to happen. So I think it's appropriate that we begin with prayer and then we'll dive in and read some scripture together and see what the Lord does among us. Would you bow with me once more? Father, we confess to you that what needs to happen among us and in our hearts, only you can do through your Holy Spirit, wielding the power of your word. And so we just submit ourselves to you humbly, recognizing that we, our motivations are always somewhat flawed by sin. And that we, just in our human power, are frail. And we're unable to bring about the spiritual realities you want to see brought about in us and in our church life. So we look to you now in your word and just ask for you to please bless us and mold us and shape us to be the people you would have us to be. People that would honor you and glorify you. Enjoy closeness with you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. So I hope you came in that spirit of anticipating being changed and shaped by God's word. I've told you many times before, but it's sort of a dangerous endeavor to come together and open up the Bible and study it together because then we'll be responsible for how we respond. And there's really only two ways to respond. You either are soft to it and changed and walk away more like Christ, loving God more, or you walk away from it harder than you were when you came in. Because once again, you've you've closed yourself off to it and a callus begins to form over your heart and we don't want that. So let's submit ourselves to God's word here and look at a third shaping theme in the book of Acts. We've looked at the theme of resurrection and we've looked at the theme of Jesus's authority And today we're going to look at the theme of the Holy Spirit, which we did talk about some last week from the book of Ephesians, but we're back in Acts now, and we're going to look at the Holy Spirit just real briefly and remind you of the essential mystery of God's nature that we have labeled with the theological term, the Trinity. Okay, we, there's, the Bible teaches that God is one, yet three, that he is God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, three, yet one, at the same time. And now that's something that I think is beyond our ability to fully grasp. People, theologians have written tons and tons of books trying to explain, trying to understand the Trinity, and I just think it's a little bit beyond what we're going to be able to fully get which we should expect because God is glorious beyond all imagination. We know about him what he has revealed to us. But of course, there are glories to him that we will be discovering for all eternity when we're with him in heaven. I remember years ago, riding in the van with my family, and Lillian was just a really little girl, probably, I don't remember how old she was because I don't remember things very well. She was very little, and we were driving along, 
And she piped up from the back seat with a really good question. And she said, how come these trees don't fall over? And I'm like, what? So why don't the trees fall over? And I realized she doesn't know about roots. She doesn't understand tree roots. So for her, she just sees these wooden cylinders sitting on the ground, very top-heavy with limbs and leaves. And she has tried to set things up on the floor before, and they fall over when they're too tall or they're leaning. So why are these trees, how are they able to stand there? Now, so she, in her development, didn't understand a mysterious part of trees, that there's something that you don't see there. Beneath the ground, there's a root system, and that's why they cling to the earth and they don't fall over. All our lives are like that. We, we learn new things. Mysteries are revealed to us. So right now, when we think about God, how can he be three and one at the same time? It's kind of like little Lillian thinking about trees. How can they be tall and leaning yet stand up at the same time? Well, there's a perfectly good explanation for it. She just didn't yet have that knowledge. I think that's the way the Trinity is. I don't know how this can be but it's clearly presented in the Bible. And I think one day we'll have more knowledge and we'll understand more of the glories of our God and we'll understand it better. But all that to say, today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, who is God, along with the Father and the Son. Yet the Holy Spirit is not the Father and is not the Son. He is distinct. He's divine and eternal and at work in the life of God's people just like the Father and Son are. And he is all through the book of Acts. All through the book of Acts. He was present at the birth of the world. If you read back in Genesis 1, right in the first verses, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the surfaces of the deep before God began to form the world as we know it. He was present at the birth of Jesus Christ. It was through the Holy Spirit that Mary was enabled to be pregnant, though she was a virgin, another mystery. And he was very present at the birth of the church in the book of Acts. He's mentioned almost 60 times in this book, which is twice that of any other book in the Bible. A lot of people have argued that it shouldn't be called the Acts of the Apostles. That's the full title of the book if you look in your Bibles, the Acts of the Apostles. A lot of people think it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit seems to be much more the actor in the book even than the Apostles. So there's a lot to learn about the Holy Spirit, as a theme in Acts. And I can't cover all that in this one sermon. So we're just going to localize ourselves to chapter 1 so I don't wear you guys out with a 15-hour lecture on the Holy Spirit today. Some of you are like, it already feels like a 15-hour lecture on the Holy Spirit. Well, pipe down. We're getting into the passage now. What I'd like to do is just walk through the first eight verses with you and just notice some of what we see about the Holy Spirit in there. And then we'll land on what that means for us. Pretty simple approach this morning. So you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. But the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus gave commands through the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave commands to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. We'll start in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The Holy Spirit was essential for the apostles to receive Jesus' commands. 
The Holy Spirit was essential from the beginning for the apostles to even receive Jesus' commands, to be able to respond to Jesus' authority. Now, if you zoom back in the story, back into the Gospels, in John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus has a lot to say to his disciples who would become the apostles about the Holy Spirit who was to come. And he told them, you, got, you have to kind of picture it. They were, they were getting the sense that he was saying goodbye. Soon he was going to be arrested and then crucified and taken away. And he said, you know, it's really to your benefit that I go. Because when I go, the Father's going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to you. And the Holy Spirit's going to do a lot of things for you. And he lists them out in different parts of those chapters in John. And it includes, he's going to teach you. He's going to remind you of what I've taught you. He's going to guide you into what's true. And he's going to declare to you everything I tell him to declare to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to be this supernatural agent of communication between Jesus and his apostles. And he was essential. And we get the picture that without the Holy Spirit, the apostles would have been ignorant, forgetful, lost, uncertain, and ineffective. They would have been completely ineffective without the Holy Spirit. Which leads to the next thing that we see in the passage. Jesus' first command to them was to wait. Don't do anything. Wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. Let's read verses 3 through 5. He presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they've seen three years of Jesus' teaching and miracles. They've seen his death on the cross for the sins of all who would trust in him. They've seen him alive, raised from the dead. And so you can imagine there's a lot of momentum in the movement right now for the apostles. You can imagine that they are straining forward, ready to go on their mission of making disciples of all nations. But their first command recorded in Acts isn't to get started, it's to wait. Stay in Jerusalem and wait until you get the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're one of the apostles, you might be an industrious type of person and you might think, well, at least I could do some stuff to get the ball rolling. Maybe I can make up some flyers and start distributing them or something. I can do something. But no, they needed to wait because their commandment from Jesus Christ could only be accomplished by supernatural means. It could not have been accomplished by human means. They could not have gained any traction on it without the Holy Spirit. It was impossible. And the promise was, in verse 5, that the apostles would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, John baptized with water. It's John the Baptist you read about in the Gospels, out in the wilderness baptizing people unto repentance of their sins. It says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, there's a lot that's been written about what this means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think for our purposes, the main thing we should take away at this point is that 
This promise of Holy Spirit is lavish. They were going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were going to be submerged in the Holy Spirit. They were going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. They weren't going to just receive a little bit of supplemental help from the Holy Spirit when they needed it from time to time. They were going to be drenched and dripping with the Holy Spirit before they were to even begin ministry. They weren't going to begin in their own power and then call for backup when they needed a little bit of assistance. They couldn't do any of it without the Holy Spirit. And you needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, as we read on, we see that the apostles would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's the operative word, power. Let's read on until we get to verse 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So wait. You picture kids excited about whatever you're going to do. You, know, you get out of the car somewhere and they're just charging out of the car into the parking lot. You're like, wait, 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 wait. It's kind of what you can sense Jesus like, just hold on. And they're like, well, are, you gonna, are we there yet? Are you going to restore the kingdom now? Is it going to happen right now? He's just, shh, just Wait. You don't need to even know about that. Just wait until you get the Holy Spirit and then you're going to have power to do the things I'm telling you to do. So just take a deep breath. Everything I've commanded you to do, I'm going to equip you to be able to do. I'm going to empower you to be able to do it. They were going to receive power. In Luke, the promise is you will be clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's a picture of sinking into to these all-encompassing garments of power. Now, why were they going to receive this power? Was Jesus creating sort of the the first prototype of a superhero team? Was this the first X-Men? Were these the first Avengers? The first Justice League? Were they going to be able to fly? Was one of them going to have like X-ray vision and then the other one was going to have like super strength? And they'd be able to go forth doing this awesome ministry with these superpowers? No, the powers were to one specific end, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So to be an apostle, the very word itself means sent one. It's somebody who is is sent with a message. That was their calling. That was their command, their mission. And therefore, that's what the Holy Spirit empowered them to do. And as we read forward in the weeks to come, when we get to chapter 2, which some of you may be familiar with, known as Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down in power, and it's crazy, and they see tongues of fire resting on each other's heads, and they start to speak in languages that they don't even know, it makes sense, because what the Holy Spirit's empowering them to do is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to all the nations, even people who speak languages they don't know. So the Holy Spirit would come upon them, they'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they would receive power. God would empower them to do what he commanded them to do. 
Okay, now that's as far as we're going to get in the book of Acts this morning. I'm not going to keep, keep going. There's so much more that we see, but we'll return to it in later sermons. We need to stop and pause and ask, what does this have to do with us this morning? Does the Holy Spirit still operate this way? Does he operate that way with us, just normal People, American Christians in 2018, or was that a unique thing that he was just only going to do for the apostles to get the ball rolling for the church? And then once it got established and once it had momentum, he was just going to sort of hand it over to the human power to just, okay, I got you a good start. Y'all see this thing out. Well, if you know your Bibles at all, I think you'll know the Holy Spirit still operates this way. And the church still operates this way. The Holy Spirit is still the power for the church and the only power for the church to be the church. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to exist and operate. As I've studied in Acts, and you know, I'm a pastor, as you may know, and I, I think about our church all the time and pray for our church. I read books all the time, and I'm struck regularly with how supernatural this whole endeavor is. From start to finish, it is all supernatural. If it is genuinely the church. Now there are certain things we can bring about through human efforts, but they will always hit the ceiling of what humans can produce in their natural abilities. It will never produce the supernatural spiritual things that God wants to produce. We can bring about through our human effort and strategies and ingenuity attendance, but we can't bring about repentance. I could boost attendance for our church. You know, our annual report shows the graph. Our attendance has declined steadily over the years. And sometimes I feel like I got to do something about this. This just looks bad. I got to do something to get these sort of hundred people who claim Doolin's Grove as their church home who aren't coming to come. And you know, there's things I could do. I don't know that they would agree to it. But we could get our deacons to dress up like professional wrestlers. And we could send out flyers to the missing 100 and to the, to the community and say, every Sunday in February, this is not going to be typical church. We're going to transform the sanctuary. And this is going to become a, a wrestling ring. And each Sunday is going to be a different matchup of two different deacons, and they're going to wrestle each other to the ground. And you can place bets. There's going to be music. There's going to be popcorn and hot dogs. All that's free. It's free, free, free. Come and watch the spectacle. And I'll bet our attendance would spike. We could do that. We could get people to attend, but we could not get them to repent. Only the Holy Spirit can convict someone of sin and bring about repentance. We could boost participation in church activities. I've got a great idea for that too. We have a large building fund. We could bring to a vote, let's liquidate the building fund into cash prizes. And then for everything you participate in, you get a a raffle ticket. And each week on Sunday morning, we're going to draw a ticket, and whoever has that number is going to get $1,000. We could do that for a little while. We've been blessed with this, this huge building fund. I guarantee more people would be in Sunday school, more people would be in the prayer meeting, more people would be in house to house. 
More people would be tagging along, visiting shut-ins. If we could figure out a way to give raffle tickets for it, we could get more people meeting for coffee and reading a book for discipleship. We could get people doing stuff. We could motivate people to do things for a little bit, but just for a little bit. We could bring about participation, but we, we can't bring about genuine faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. I can't pay you enough to genuinely, from your heart, recognize how sinful you are and for you to just give yourself over to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and live the rest of your life trusting and obeying him. I can't make that happen. I can't speak eloquently enough, clearly. I can't even say the word eloquent. I can't be humorous enough. I can't be energetic enough to bring about spiritual results. Only the Holy Spirit does those things. Where there is no Holy Spirit, there is no church. Where there is the church, the real church, the people who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, or who are growing into that, and who love one another as themselves, you can be guaranteed the Holy Spirit is there. Now, we can bring about human traditions over time, religious traditions that mean a lot sentimentally to people, but we can't bring about that worship that comes from the heart. Only the Holy Spirit does that. We can bring about membership, but we can't bring about fellowship. We can get people to commit to a church, but we can't get people to commit to one another with shared life in Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit brings these things about. He enables us to exist. He enables us to function and operate. Now, not everybody is called to be an apostle. So it's not going to look exactly like it looked for the apostles here. But if you are a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and called into ministry and enabled to do that ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll read one passage Toward that end, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. This is how it works within the church, how the body of Christ operates. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and every one. So here he's talking about the continuing church, not just the apostles, but the Christians who would come after on and on through the generations, including us. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And the point isn't the specific list of what the Spirit brings about. It's that all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And there's other lists in the Bible of examples of what the Spirit brings about in God's people. Prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, helping, administration is listed as one of the outflowings of the the Spirit enabling us to do ministry together. Tongues, exhortation, contribution, giving. When when we pass the offering plate, that's an opportunity for Holy Spirit-enabled ministry. 
leadership, zeal, shepherding, speaking, serving. I believe the Holy Spirit is at work among us because I know that there's Christians among us and he's at work where there's Christians. And so if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that even through these texts, he would be stirring in us, revealing to us next steps in obedience to Christ's command in our lives and empowering us to be obedient to those. Filled with the Holy Spirit, we can be filled with anticipation as to what he might do through us in this world. For the apostles, it sort of began very humbly. They were just waiting, and they were praying together, remembering God's word together through the rest of chapter 1 when the Spirit fell upon them and made clear and powerful what they were supposed to do. And I think that's where we should begin this morning. We've heard the word. We'll pray together. Our closing song will be a form of musical prayer together. And we'll pray for the Holy Spirit to fall upon us, to stir within us, to make clear as individuals what our role to play is and to empower us to do it. But any and all forward motion as a church has to begin with prayer because we don't want to roll up our sleeves and just settle for what we can accomplish by natural means. We want to see God at work among us. And he is at work among us through his spirit. Now rejoice in that. So let's pray now and let's just together commit ourselves to never settle for less than spirit-filled, spirit-led ministry together. Would you bow with me? Father, I am really grateful for the way you arranged all this to work. That you don't just save us supernaturally through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, and then leave us to ourselves to accomplish your mission in the world. But like a good father, you tell us what to do, and you enable us to do it by sending the Holy Spirit. So we ask now that you would fill us with your Spirit, as individuals, as a church. Give us clarity in our callings. Give us a sense of peace and rest as we wait and watch and look for the opportunities you put before us. Would you please work in us and among us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.